Warning. The following show features spoilers and opinions performed either by professionals or under the supervision of professionals. Accordingly, Dead and Married and the producers must insist that no one attempt to recreate or reenact any opinion or fuckery performed on this show. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Dead and Married. I'm Travis. Hi, I'm Ashley. And this week we are covering Friday the 13th Part 6, Jason Lives. Jason Lives. As opposed to its alias, Jason's Alive. Or Jason is risen. I've never, I've never heard of those before. We biblical. Yeah, <laughs> I would make a like a Jason come forth, but that's that'd be bad. <laughs> so part six. How do you how do you feel about kind of getting halfway through the franchise, as it were? Uh, well, uh, good. I guess <laughs> I would say that overall, I feel good about this movie. I do. Finally? Finally. Uh, But I also acknowledge that it's, I think it's downhill from here. Yes, unfortunately. (laughs) Like we've we've sort of plateaued with this one. Yeah, it's just, it's kind of funny. Like, and your opinion may change. You, You may not hate the rest of them because I remember you saying a few episodes back that you just wanted them to be entertaining and kind of fun and stupid and they pretty well do that from this point forward. Yeah, they covered all the bases in this one. But I think they just get kind of more ridiculous after this. Well, even I have a limit. I know I was saying that part four checks all the boxes as being like a quintessential perfect Friday the 13th film. But going back and revisiting Jason Lives, I found this one even more so. Well, okay, no, I don't think so. I I think there's there's a few things that hinder this one from being the best one to me. I I, I think I'm going to still maintain part four. Yeah, I think it, it really only missed two boxes being checked. I don't think we've got... Enough time, and this is going to sound crazy, enough time with Jason, maybe? Or maybe it's just the Jason that we got wasn't, is he wasn't Ted White, maybe that's it. He just well, didn't, he does, some, he does some crazy stuff. He's just not as intimidating, maybe, in this one. See, I find him intimidating, but I think the problem is, is the film in, as a whole isn't scary. Well, that kind of is the second box that they didn't check. There's no gore, really, in this movie. Right. Not much. It's very light. And you, you have really very little blood. And then a Jason that's not quite as scary as what you got in the other ones. And de- definitely those new... There's no mystery to this Jason. Because he's just right there in your face from the beginning. But, you know, honestly, we didn't need mystery really from Jason. Because we know who he is at this point. But, I don't know. It's, it's a fun movie. And it does not take itself too seriously. And I know we'll talk about that. But, yeah, I think those are the only two beats that it kind of missed. I think for me, it's just that one box of that it's not scary and I wouldn't say that this is any fault of the director Tom McLaughlin. I think this is absolutely another case where the MPAA just ripped it apart because if you go back and you look at the footage of the deleted scenes or the extended scenes, a lot of those kills were meant to be a lot more brutal. They hung on things longer and as a result, I think it hurt it in those terms because this Jason, I still actually really like. CJ Graham did a very good job and there are things that I didn't realize until today that I had credited Kane Hodder for that CJ Graham did first. So that kind of made me feel a bit like a chode. (laughs) Well, you shouldn't feel like a chode for that. Um, This movie had a director that was a little different from (laughs) directors they maybe had in the past because he was a professional mime or was it a mime school? Was that right? Something like that. that Yeah. So it was directed by Tom McLaughlin. Um, also written by Tom McLaughlin, and he had a little bit different take on it than the directors we'd had before. Um, of course, he's credited as the writer, but Sean Cunningham and Victor Miller are also credited for uh, characters. But I feel like he pulled it off, and according to all accounts, his the way he ran the set was a lot different. Um, it was very much like a, a family type of thing. Um, Almost wholesome kind of for this type of film. Yeah, it was a lot less sex, drugs, rock and roll, and more board games and Waffle House with right. him. So um, what we saw in Crystal Lake Memories, everybody seemed to just have a good time. Yeah. And they got along. So I think that translated to the screen and that translated to a lighter tone in the movie. I'm always going to give credit to any director that wants to try something different with the series. I like part five for that reason because they wanted to take it back to its roots. I enjoy this one because they wanted to make it fun. I enjoy part nine because again they want to just do something different. 
different, a different take on it, a different spin. And does it always work? No, but at least there are people out there that were trying, you know, because Tom McLaughlin had basically sat through all five of what came before and was like, yeah, let's try to liven up the formula a little bit and not just the same wash, rinse, repeat that has been those first five. As much as I love them, they're all the same. They are. They definitely follow the same pattern, but audiences didn't necessarily react well to this this was the i think the uh, when this one was released it was the lowest grossing of the friday series up to that point it's a it's got a 50 percent on rotten tomatoes a six out of ten on imdb and metacritic it's sitting at a 30 percent it, it's got much more of a cult following now i would say but i think part of that at least maybe not the scores now but the box office returns then were because people were just coming off of a friday the 13th that didn't have jason in it and also freddie was introduced to us at the same time so that obviously was the more innovative shocking new thing out there whereas jason was kind of old hat at this point well and freddie was still scary then yes whereas kind of going the other direction with jason in this one this movie stars thom matthews am i saying that right (laughs) thom or do we just say tom it's tom honey you know that i'm gonna start calling your brother thom And he plays Tommy Jarvis. Now, this is not bald, screamy, face-wearing or face-mask-wearing Tommy Jarvis from Part 4. And Corey it's Feldman? Not, <laughs> yeah. You're looking at me like for help. I was drawing a blank there. <laughs> you know how I am with names. And it's not... <sighs> PTSD John Shepard? I was thinking, holding back a fart face, Tommy Jarvis <laughs> but <laughs> from uh, Part 5. I think they got Tommy right on this one. I agree. This is my favorite Tommy of the three. Uh, It also stars Jennifer Cook as Megan, David Kagan as Sheriff Garris, and yes, that is a nod to Mick Garris. Carrie Noonan plays Paula. Renee Jones plays Sissy. Tom Fridley plays Court. Now, Court was supposed to be, I think, sort of the asshole character? No, I think he was just supposed to be comic relief, maybe. But he was not unlikable. Right. And, And that was one of the things I liked about this movie, too, is that you really didn't have any just blatantly unlikable characters. Also, he's the nephew of John Travolta, which I completely saw once I knew that. Who would have thought? So C.J. Graham is uh, credited as Jason, even though he was not the first Jason on this project. He's not even the second. They had three (laughs) different guys play different scenes for Jason. Okay. Uh, Maybe I've got their names here. Maybe I don't. (laughs) We'll find out. Darcy DeMoss is Nikki. Now, she was... She was originally supposed to play the the character of Tina in part five. Right, but they said that she wasn't uh she didn't have big enough boobies big enough on the front side according to the actress herself right uh vincent gustafaro gustafaro plays deputy rick cologne tony goldwyn plays darren and this was his first film correct (laughs) (laughs) nancy mclaughlin yes they were married at the time Uh, i don't know if they still were i didn't look into that i don't dig into their marital life because it's not my business but at the time they were married and she played elizabeth ron palillo palillo plays alan hawes whitney rydbeck plays roy courtney vickery plays nancy bob larkin plays martin michael swan plays officer pappas wallace merck plays bert there's several other people here part of the reason that there are so many people credited on this movie is because this was the first time there were actual children at the camp had a couple of kids with some speaking roles but for the most part they were background characters now back to the jason situation there's a paintball scene in this movie and dad bradley played that jason but at the end of the day he was just too bootylicious for this movie <laughs> well it's not just the paintball scene from what i understand he did all the daytime stuff all the daytime jason stuff was dan bradley yeah well i think they only had him on set for just a couple of days something like that uh before they decided that he was too big to be Jason. That was that's the thickest Jason I've ever seen before. <laughs> Dude had a dumpy for sure. <laughs> Big booty hole. <laughs> Anyway, and Christopher Swift plays uh, Jason Voorhees in the opening scene, and that's where we get our 007 Jason. Right. Well, we don't know that he did 007, but... Well, yeah, that's true. Yeah. That's um, true. But he did, he was the one who killed Welcome Back Cotter guy, Haas, or whatever. Right, right. The beginning. So that about does it for our cast. So I do think it's, going into the opening, speaking of which, I do think it's funny that this film begins exactly the same way that part five does, where you got two morons going going to dig up Jason's body. The only difference this time is that we don't have little Tommy standing by watching. We have Tommy being one of the morons and one of the guys getting killed 
as opposed to both, and Jason being resurrected Frankenstein style. Yeah, and they they went one step further with that because later in the film, there's a is it, is it a gas station or is it Karloff Grocery? As a, well, a nod to Boris Karloff that played the Frankenstein monster. Yeah, we can we can definitely go into just how much fun there was to be had in the writing and and stuff throughout, which is it's one of the things I've listed under my likes. But um, but yeah, instead of uh, Tommy being an innocent bystander in a nightmare this time we have Tommy I mean let's admit it he basically fucked every person and every subsequent film from this point his his entire plan was <laughs> dumb because Jason was already dead yes and we're gonna ignore the fact that Jason had a grave with a body in it after he had been cremated in part <laughs> part, part four, five part five part five yeah yeah that's we this is where they scrap continuity. Completely, oh, it started right? way before. It's but, just this is the most blatant use of it. Yeah, but he says, uh, "Was it Jason belongs in hell, and I'm going to see that he gets there." Yes, he was dead. There was no he. He didn't need to drive Miss Daisy to hell because <laughs> he was already dead. Which, though, to be fair, I enjoyed that line so much. As soon as he said, "Jason belongs in hell, and I'm going to see that he gets there," we kind of already knew what Tommy we were in for this. Time. We did, we did, and I like this Tommy the best, but. He was inadvertently the agent of Jason's return. Yes. And he fucked everybody for six more movies. Yeah, he even says that I tried to kill Jason and I fucked up. I'm like, you don't say. Right. He even fucked people through two fan films that are not included. <laughs> right? That's very true. But at least he showed up for one of those. He showed up for both of those. Was he in both of them? Yes. I only remember him from the one. Yeah. Um, never hike alone. He acts, it's more or less as a cameo, but he is definitely a main character in Never Hike in the Snow. So, which I guess we will be covering next summer, as it were. But for now, yeah, you kind of automatically get out of the gates that this is a different Tommy that we're dealing with. He's not crazy. He's not broody he's not deep in thought tommy like while i clench yeah he's he's got a sense of humor he's a smart ass well he comes back as a semi well i was gonna say competent which he just brought jason back to life so maybe almost capable hero as opposed to just broken young man like he was in part five much more enjoyable character to spend an hour and a half with does it seem like to you like this film is trying to ignore that part five happened like do you think that they're kind of doing a retcon of a new beginning and treating this sequel as if it happened right after the events of the final chapter i don't know i didn't read or hear Hear anything that says that but you could make a case for that i think yeah because they don't reference any of those events at all no i think you could jump straight from four to six potentially even though like i said nobody i didn't ever hear of that but it would make sense if you did I wouldn't, but so, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, you know, if they were trying to forget part five happened, there are parts of part five that I, oh, wait a minute, I did forget they happened. I'm good. <laughs> so now that we've brought up Tommy and, and how much different he is and what we like about him, what did you think about the rest of the characters? I, I liked, I liked all the rest of the characters. I like our final girl. She's fun. She's strong in a, the Amy Steele kind of way, mm-hmm. but she's a smart ass. She likes to have fun. She wants to fuck Tommy. <laughs> um, she, you know, she drives a fast car. She just, she's a much more engaging character, I think. I, I you, was thinking. That- which one of Laurie Strode's friends did you say? She reminded you of Annie. That, Annie. That's what I was saying. So if we, if we, for one thing, Megan is like Jenny, but more fun. That was my thing about her. Well, she had all the things that Jenny had, but she, there was just she's a kid. I think that's the thing is you get that not all girls are going to be Laurie Strode. They're not going to be mature and timid and responsible. You're going to have kids that just act like kids sometimes, but they're still capable of saving the day. You know, I love. The Monster Squad, something like that. And I thought that that's what was great about her is at the end of the day, she was just a kid. She said stupid things. She did stupid things. She made her dad fucking nuts. It, it was great. And I enjoyed her very much. But that's what I was saying earlier is like, okay, imagine if you will, you don't get a Lori Strode every single time you have a final girl. What if you get an Annie Brackett sometimes? You know, isn't that fun too? Yeah, that was just my thought. Yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed a final girl with a personality. And... <laughs> 
quick sidebar. I recently made a new friend, pretty good friends now, Megan. And because of this movie, this was the first movie I thought of because we actually bonded over the Friday the 13th series. And I started calling her Maggie and it's indirect reference to this very film because there's a scene where they're trying to lock up the cop in the jail cell and point the gun at him and he's like, Maggie. And so, yeah, I just thought I'd call her out right quick and say that every time I call her Maggie, it's in direct reference to this movie. So, love you. (laughs) So... I guess, you know, other than her, other characters that I enjoyed, uh, the caretaker mm-hmm. is fantastic. I'm just yes. going to tell you, he's my favorite character in this movie. He He's not my favorite, but he's definitely top three material for sure. He's he's fantastic. Um, I would say that some of the stuff that happens in this movie, they've clearly watched uh, Monty Python and the Holy Grail because there's a couple of beats in here that kind of uh, remind me of that movie. But let's see. He, <laughs> if I'm going to quote this movie, usually all of my quotes belong to him. I won't name them all, obviously. But if you know his lines in the movie, then they're easily very quotable. And me and the kids like to have a good time with that one. Yeah, but he's just, he's crazy. And he, he has a fourth wall break. I really like the paintball people. <laughs> some random ones to pick out. <laughs> yeah. They're just entertaining. Uh, you've got the, the two guys that might be dating and you've got the misogynist guy who's pissed off because he got killed by okay, the other woman like on the team. Um, yeah, but his his end <laughs> is fantastic. That's very, very true. Um, and Kate, right? She's the, the female executive Katie. that is just going around paintballing all the guys. Yeah. She's fun because she thinks it's hilarious. And uh, what was the other guy's name? Roy. Roy. Like yeah. he's, the, he's the final boy. He was I was like, oh my God, don't kill him because and he just seemed like a child out there. He, he's like a living cartoon character out there. I mean, almost. It's just, I don't know. He just had that little thing like, don't hurt the little guy. <laughs> well, but he was another one of those that came over from the, the mime school, mime mm-hmm. company, whatever. He was a mime and uh, clearly great at physical comedy, but uh, I really enjoyed all of them. How about you? Just going down the list here, I'm just trying to think of our main players here because like uh, Megan, or not Megan, I'm sorry, Sissy, she didn't really have a lot to do. She kind of, I think her character's a little famous for the Jason card game, and I thought it was hilarious that she was looking at a magazine called Men at Play, <laughs> but other than that, she really didn't have a lot to do. Um, I thought Court was funny. He Again, he didn't get a lot of screen time. He didn't get any girl character development, but he was fun. I did like his trying to teach the boys about Native American markings on the ground and just kind of half-assing that. That was funny, but he could have easily been the character to be an asshole and he wasn't. He was just, he was just having a good time, you know, like anybody would. Yeah. And while you've got him sort of on your mind, kind of like to point out, there's no nudity in this one. Uh, yeah. Except of for any kind. his nipples. <laughs> well, yeah, it's male <laughs> nipples. And if I'm recalling correctly, there's no alcohol or drug use. No, there's not come either. to think of it. Yeah. So it's it's very, very PG. For real. Well, maybe PG-13. Yeah, if you didn't have the the kills, I mean, even as tame as they are, if you didn't have those kills, it would absolutely be a PG-13 movie. Honestly, if you made that movie right now, it would be PG-13. Because back then, the MPAA had a stick up their ass for every Friday movie. And I feel like they just kind of fucked these guys because they could. That's true. And if you look at any PG-13 horror movie we've had in the last even couple of decades, they've gotten away with a lot more than rated R films got away with back in the 80s. Absolutely. I mean, they can say fuck now in a PG-13 movie. Right? They can show partial nudity in some PG-13 movies. You can show an, show an ass cheek on television now. <laughs> well, I think that's been a while, but still. <laughs> and then Paula, uh, she was one that I actually enjoyed. She was the character Elizabeth, who's, I guess, supposed to be one of the main camp counselors running the place, her little sister. Paula, I thought she was a nice character. She was kind of like the mother hen to all the children. She was kind of helping the little girl named Nancy out while she was afraid. And so her death actually kind of bummed me out a little bit. I didn't think she deserved it. Yeah. And well, Megan, I don't think we mentioned this, but Megan, the sheriff's daughter, she was a camp counselor there as well. And all these kids tried. Like when the when the, the two primary counselors 
players or the, the two that were supposed to be running this place didn't show up. They all stepped up to try to do something. Right? I sorry to ever I offend, but I don't think kids now would do that. I think they'd be like, well, they're not showing up, so we're not going to work. We don't know what to do. We need to go home. Yeah, they'd be like, I got this big bucket of fuck it and I'm going to give it all to you. <laughs> right? I mean, sadly, our own two kids would do that. They'd be like, I don't know what to do. How am I supposed to look after 30 kids by myself? Yeah, they've got a whole truckload of fuck it. And I don't know that they would even say anything before they left. Probably not. I'm just going to leave. You good? You good. Yeah, we're leaving. Yeah, yeah these kids will be fine. There's, we'll leave a note. There's food in there. They'll, they'll probably be okay. But yeah, it was just is another case of a film having characters that I like. So... After characters, I think the next thing we should talk about is effects and practical effects. What do you, what were your <laughs> call-outs? What stood out to you? I think we were just talking off mic about, you're like, are there any practical effects in this movie? Yes, there are. Sadly, again, a lot of the stuff uh, got butchered, so we didn't get to see them in all of their glory. But um, as far as Jason's look itself... It's not my favorite. I'll openly admit that. Going to the first shot of him where he's just covered in bugs and maggots and whatnot, that looked great. But the look of his face, I wasn't a huge fan of. He looked like, oh my gosh, like a skull with some brown paper over it. But I much more prefer Jason's look in the final chapter. Yeah, this Jason, there was something very... I don't know. Night of the Living Dead, also starring Tom Matthews. You mean Return of the Living Dead? <laughs> Whatever, that one. <laughs> You're awful at this. Take a shot every time Travis fucks something up. <laughs> don't. That's a sure fire trip to the hospital for alcohol poisoning. But yeah, it seemed, it. I don't know. Because the effects in that that one weren't great either. And I've, In part four? No, I'm talking about the Living Dead movie. Return of the Living Dead? Yeah, whatever. Like the yellow... Actually, they were pretty fantastic. Okay, we're going to have to watch that movie again and cover it because I don't remember it being great, but... You loved that movie. It's been too long since you've watched it because I remember you laughing your entire ass off, which is saying something. Okay, but there's a big (laughs) difference between me laughing my ass off and high quality practical effects. No, I'm just saying that I think the look of Jason in this one was sort of similar at the beginning. In the beginning, when you see him the first time. Okay, we'll agree to disagree. Let's do that. We'll have to go back and revisit it because sometimes Travis talks about things he doesn't know anything about, and I'm and I'm here to save him from that embarrassment. I, I. am guilty of sometimes remembering things incorrectly and then i watch it and i go son of a bitch will you look at that No, um, what we did get as far as like practical effects, I thought what we got to see was good. Um, Some of the kills, the effects on those were really great. Um, And we'll obviously talk about kills here soon, but it was okay. There wasn't anything that I just remember standing out as, oh my God, that's the most amazing thing I've ever seen. How did they do that type of stuff? But again, that just could be attributed to the ratings board. Yeah, I, I think they did okay, but I just, I don't know. I don't remember the name of the makeup makeup effects person that was on there there. were several of them that did different things i think the thing is none of them were tom savini and anytime he's going to be the makeup guy in a movie they're like all right do your worst do whatever you can do and it becomes sort of a centerpiece for the movie but i think it's because it's got his name on it and i'm not saying that he doesn't deserve that credit but i think sometimes in some of these movies where we've had lesser known effects people the effects kind of take a back seat right maybe maybe, yeah i don't want to be that person that's like oh i only like tom savini's work that's like saying i only like nick castle as michael myers like there are plenty a lot more talented makeup effects and practical effects special effects artists out there. Like I said, I just feel like when you hear those names, the names that stand out, they're that way because they have something in their films that are memorable. And in this one, I'm just, I'm afraid that they just really didn't. Yeah. And and I'm not saying that you have to have one of those people. And I'm not saying that it takes one of them to have a quality effect. I'm saying that a lot of those folks come into a movie with a big name already. And the director sees that as an opportunity to showcase what they can do. Right. And when you have a lesser known person, maybe the director doesn't have as much confidence in their ability 
regardless of the level of skill they have, because they may be very, very talented, but maybe they haven't been discovered yet or showcased in a movie. And so the director steers kind of around doing a heavy effects type movie. So it's not because they can't do it well. It's they just don't get as much screen time as one of the big names does. Absolutely. They may be they may be equally talented. They just don't get the don't get the credit they deserve. And that may be the situation here. So uh, did you do you remember anything just kind of standing out as far as camera work goes? No, I mean, it was it seemed like uh, you just asked that question to someone who knows dick about what a shot's called or <laughs> anything. It seemed pretty. Pretty basic to me. Maybe, I don't know, standard stuff. There wasn't anything that jumped out and I was like, man, that looked really good. Or, oh, that was just garbage. They had a camera, they pointed at things and they moved it around. I'm, <laughs> I don't know. Well, there's a reason for that too. And that's because not only did it suffer some of the practical effects not getting showcased because of the ratings board, but it also suffered. What it lacks in cinematography is because they had a producer on board that nickel and dimed every single thing that they did. Uh, McLaughlin had plans for how he wanted to shoot certain scenes and was not allowed because the guy was like, oh no, that's going to cost too much money or was maybe fine with it in the beginning. But then the day that the director showed up, he'd say, oh, by the way, we scrapped that. We're no longer doing that shot. And so it did force Tom McLaughlin to get a little bit more creative in the way that he shot certain scenes. Now that producer's name was Don Barons, and he was also attached to Halloween. Yes, I believe I heard that. And... I don't know, maybe that had something to do with it, that, you know, John Carpenter, they gave him two nickels and a chewing gum wrapper, and he made <laughs> Halloween. And he was like, well, fuck, anybody can do this on the cheap, but... Oh, well, maybe that's true, but, but it also wasn't 1978 at that point. And he could have just been a tight bastard, who knows. But they did get him, because in Crystal Lake Memories, apparently... He was trying to get it. It was he. He told them. He even said that he got a bonus if the movie got done on time, right? And he had picked out like an RV air conditioner that was worth some money, and he decided that that was just going to be his when the movie wrapped. So uh, one of the really awesome action sequences when they wrecked the RV, which I think they highlighted the action probably more than the horror in this film. They took this air conditioner unit that he really wanted to keep and strapped it to the roof of the RV that they flipped over. I thought that story was hilarious. Kind of just in a big fuck you. <laughs> and I think that's great. And you you already brought it up. That's one of the things that's great about this film is, you know, we're usually suffering. We're at the mercy of these films, sometimes just following along in the shenanigans that these teens are up to. And it can get kind of stale and boring and stagnant after a while. And this one made sure that there was something going on in every scene. Yes, there's a couple attacked on kills that they needed to pad out the body count. But at the end of the day, they include so much more that was just more cinematic and visually pleasing. Yeah, and some of the extra kills that you were talking about, they did those in what post-production mm -hmm. or whatever. They they were add-ons that were not originally included, which is weird because I don't feel like they needed that necessarily. I mean, I'm not disappointed that you get a couple extra kills in there, but I don't really feel like they were necessary to make the movie. And at an hour and a half, they didn't need those kills to make the runtime because they're not that long. Those scenes are not that long. Well, a standard movie is an hour and a half, so that may have been what they were going for is we got to hit that hour and a half mark because anything other below that feels too short. But there are people out there that need that high body count. I, I don't. If, if the story is done well and there's enough going on, just make the kills that much more memorable. Make them memorable, not... It's, it's quality over quantity. Oh, I totally agree there. I would have rather... Well, it's three. Three extra kills, right? Uh, let's see. The double impalement on the motor scooter thing. <laughs> and the caretaker. That was... Yeah, that was the a, caretaker. A, an uh -huh. Although uh, I, I darling, do Darling, you're going to be scene. the death of me. <laughs> I love that scene so much. <laughs> I don't know. I don't really feel like any of those were necessary. They were fine. But yeah, I agree, though. It, keep your three kills and just make the ones that you already gave me better. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Because some of them were really good. Again, going back to that paintball scene. Uh, there was supposed to be like a triple decapitation and the guys worked I mean th the guys did work hard on it and maybe again going saying maybe those kills weren't memorable but it's because they got butchered because they worked really hard on this mechanism to show the knees buckling on these people that got decapitated and that would have been really cool if that got left in there as yeah. opposed to just cutting away from the action yeah uh, it, I, my understanding is that, that scene was quite a bit longer than what we received in the final cut and and uh, the, the 
first first kill of the movie. Um, the the heart punch in the cemetery uh, that was supposed to be a little bit longer to show like blood still pumping from the heart, but the the good old MPAA made him cut it. Yeah, and I hate to break it to you, part seven's gonna be so much worse, so much worse. Like if you thought they took a beating this time around, part seven just no no lube was used in okay. that movie. Okay, which one's is that? Jason takes Toronto or no? That's telekinetic teenager. Oh my god. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> pulling a little bit of audio from Dead Meat there. <laughs> yeah, no, I remember that movie. I remember that one. That was unnecessary. <laughs> like that one's bad, not in a fun way. Uh, it Our... still it still has its merit, but we'll definitely go into that next oh, we week. We will. <laughs> it still has its merit, and its name is Kane Hodder. <laughs> So that's about all I've got for that one. I, I think it's funny that you said merit and you only named one thing because <laughs> yeah. it, it does not have the plural version of that. <laughs> it does not have more than one. But speaking of uh, part seven, that one, we can talk about the score because part seven, I was thinking that score really got amplified. But so did this one in part six. It, I think we were talking about how much more we enjoyed the score of this film than we had any others up to this point. Although I'm still making a case for part three. I'm not. <laughs> But I do like how they they sort of ratcheted up the intensity of the score. They made it not quite a character in the movie, but you noticed it. Yeah. You noticed the score. And other than some kick, kick, kick. Did they even have that in this? I don't know if they even did. But I don't remember any of that. Yeah, you know, your first couple of movies, it's really, it's about all you get. There's just not a lot to them. Well, you get the... And there's no disco in this one, which is great. No, it's not. It's great. It would have been better if this one had disco. Use the disco <laughs> theme in every film. <laughs> no. Um, and this one also had Alice Cooper, which they, which is great. Like me some Alice Cooper. There was a very questionable music video that came out after this, though, <laughs> that was directed by the guy who did Zito. part four. four? Yes, which, I was waiting for you to tell me because I didn't remember. <laughs> I'm sitting here going, did we even say the name of the director in part four? Did we suck at life that much? <laughs> that doesn't really matter. <laughs> but no, I was just thinking as lighthearted as part six is, the score was pretty foreboding for once. That was, that was a kind of a weird dynamic there. Yeah, I was digging it. Yeah, I thought it was great. I was digging the fact that you're getting this really intense score and then Jason walks into a circle like fucking James Bond. <laughs> and you get the, the slash. You have a really foreboding score in a film where somebody uses the word fart head. This is true. <laughs> but no, I thought that was great. <laughs> they think I'm a fart head. Yeah! <laughs> so, um... That being said, what are your favorite? We've been brushed on the practical effects. So what were your kills that showcased the practical effects? Uh, I don't know that there were any of them that really showcased practical effects. I had, I guess, two kills that I like, right? Um, I like the kill of, I wish I could remember the guy's name. He's the asshole uh, paintball guy. The one who's pissed off because oh, Katie killed oh, oh, him. Right. And he's like ranting through the forest with his shiny chrome machete talking about how she should have stayed in the kitchen right before... Jason rips his arm off and <laughs> puts the Forrest Gump t-shirt face on the tree. <laughs> he holds that arm up like, the and fuck am I supposed to do like, this? the hell did this come from? Uh, and now he's got a shiny new chrome machete. That was one of my favorites. It's just funny, though. I yeah. like it's funny. And then I know it's one of your favorites, too. Uh, Sheriff Garris. Yes. Just, I don't know. It's the first time <laughs> I'd seen anything like that. And I don't know about the effects necessarily, but the sound design on it's pretty fucking good. <laughs> say do you remember last week with Aiden when he's like you ever step on a bag of chips <laughs> yeah yep <laughs> I was like you ever crush your milk jug though the sound design on that kill was brutal which you know we got to talking about Sheriff Garris a little bit off mic too about I, I haven't necessarily heard anybody say they didn't like him but I feel like that's how they want you to to see him at first like he's this asshole and he's Tommy's secondary adversary but at the end of the day can we not say that we kind of sympathize with him a little bit relate to him He's kind of a Sheriff Hopper kind of guy. That, that's what I was going to say. For people that haven't seen this movie, but they've seen Stranger Things, there's some Hopper-esque qualities to this guy. For sure. Where he's kind of gruff. He's kind of an asshole. But, you know, at the end of the day, he tries to protect his daughter. Like, he goes mano a mano with Jason Voorhees. That's, that takes balls. And, to try to protect his girl. So, he was a, he was a good dude at the end. 
<laughs> but I also want to call out the, uh, what I'm going to call lovingly the T-1000 kill because that was something I hadn't really seen before. I mean, you could make the argument that something similar was done Nightmare on Elm Street with Freddy coming through the wall behind Nancy, but never had I just seen somebody's face shoved through a wall in that kind of fashion. <laughs> yeah, but that was a dream. This was real life. This is not a dream. This is really happening. This was really happening. <laughs> They, he really stuck her face in there, T-1000 style. <laughs> so so that kill was fun, for sure. So I can't... I'm, I'm trying to think of the other kills, but they're just to real... There's not really any that stand out to me apart from those. Well, let's well, well, see. Well, Sissy's kill of him spinning her head all the way around till it came off was pretty cool, too. There's the moped double impalement. There's caretaker getting stabbed in the throat with a broken bottle. And he, there's that scene where he just straight yeets that knife into that cop's head and sends a flying back, but... That's yeah. pretty tame in comparison. Yeah. What, what kills else? happened off screen? The uh, In the very beginning, when he kills... Tony Goldwyn. Goldwyn. How did he kill him? He just sort of yeeted him off screen, didn't he? He did. And then he killed her with a spear to the head in a mud puddle. Yeah. I'm drawing a blank now. They're just not memorable kills. Yeah. Like I said, ap- apart from those those three that we've already brought up, that that's really all I've got. The bag break, the... Eh. Yeah, that one. <laughs> I know exactly which one you're talking about. So that one the ant is my personal favorite. <laughs> the bag break, the T one thousand, and yeah, some other third one that oh, I Oh Roy. Uh Roy died off screen. They just find body parts of him. The little cartoon character That's guy. That's not one I brought up as a favorite. No, 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 but I'm just saying <laughs> we were talking about kills and there's like 18 people die in this movie. Yeah. Eh, there's only like two or three of them that really stand out. Like you said, a lot of them, they happen sort of off screen. You don't really see it. Oh, the arm rip off. That that was the third one. The right. paintball guy. Yeah. Right. So apart from those three, there just aren't any that are really right home to your mama about or anything. No. Which kind of sucks. Yeah, because everything else in the movie I felt like was was good. We had likable characters. We had comedy. Decent score. It was tolerably shot. Because so, I don't know shit about camera work, so I'm going to say it was good. So why don't we go into that? Why don't we go into what we found funny or memorable? Anything that stands out in particular. Okay, so the opening is memorable. I don't know how funny it is necessarily, although I do get a pretty good chuckle every time lightning strikes the fence post that he's impaled Jason with, and I'm like, really? fucking Frankenstein. I, I just, uh, <laughs> it was such a blatant ripoff. It makes me kind of giggle a little bit every time. But I don't know um, that I would say blatant rip off he was obviously paying homage yeah but the uh the guy the, the guy gets his arm ripped off and then smashes his face into the end of the tree it's not really funny but it's a great shot uh, after they wreck the rv and jason's standing on top of the flaming rv that is the coolest shot of the movie that's pretty good that's also one was of the probably pretty dangerous that's for... one of the coolest shots of a friday the 13th series period yeah yeah that one was good I don't know. Everything else I think is the caretaker. Because every time he's on screen, he's just saying crazy shit or talking to the audience. <laughs> so people have a weird sense of humor. Was it a strange sense of entertainment? Sick yeah. sense of entertainment? And we all think he's a fart head. Well, I, I, that's one of the things. And I and I guess I'll say it's just a, attributing to the story writing of this, which Tom McLaughlin also did, was besides it being meta before being meta was even a thing, he also did this funny bit of foreshadowing how Certain people were going to die that I did not pick up on until studying for this. Like the paintball guys putting on the dead bandanas on their heads and oh, they, they died. Uh, the caretaker saying, you're going to be the death of me to a, an alcohol bottle and then being killed with said alcohol bottle. Um, that stuff's great. And then, of course, you brought up breaking the fourth wall, which is always great. These are all things that wouldn't necessarily have been done in a horror movie at this point. You know, when you hear people like Kevin Williamson say that this movie influenced how he wrote Scream, I absolutely see that. And the caretaker is not the only person that I quote in this movie. I actually quote Rick. Yeah, he's the deputy, right? I also quote him. I mean, how does anybody not watch that movie and go, wherever the red dot goes, ya bang. <laughs> like, I, I don't know why. That's just one of the funny lines in the Friday the 13th series to me. It's such a stupid thing to say. It is, but the way he delivers it and the, the way Tommy throws it back at him, it's pretty funny. I will say that he gave the line delivery better than Tommy did. Because Tommy does it funny wherever the red dot goes. You may. I don't know. (laughs) It was was funnier when Rick did it for sure. Yeah. Well, Rick said it with conviction. Yes. Yeah. 
but I, apart from those things that are funny or, or memorable that we've already discussed, I just thought the story writing in general was funny. That you had you had our main two leads and their chemistry was absolutely believable between the two of them. They really felt like people who were dating or could date had that potential. She really sold being attracted to Tommy and he really sold being attracted to her. Yeah, she she looked at him with a whole lot of I'm going to fuck you energy. <laughs> And um, and she was very confident about it. So I don't know. I, I I enjoyed her character overall. I liked the characters in this in this movie. Um, I think from you mentioned the writing. I think from a writing standpoint, it almost has more of a feel good movie vibe than yeah. a horror movie vibe. Yeah, because it would have been say you wanted to take this to a, a darker turn, right? So you want it. I'm going to sound really shitty here for a minute. If you wanted it to be something that was going to be more fitting of a horror film, I don't know that Tommy would have lived. For me, as controversial as it sounds, I think it makes more sense for Tommy to have sacrificed himself to kill Jason. Though at this point, Jason can't be killed because he's a full-blown zombie now. But for him to... To possibly die in trying to get him chained back in the bottom of Crystal Lake made more sense to me, story-wise. Yeah, that would probably have been a more a fitting end. Yeah, but you also had all the kids that were standing around and they were very upset when Megan was trying to perform CPR on him. And you didn't want to see that for them. I mean, how many of those kids left with some trauma? But, you know, what were you going to be when you grew up? <laughs> <laughs> right. Those two guys, those two boys were hilarious. They though. really were. Um, so it, I guess it was nice for one of these films to have a happy ending. That's so weird, too. There's a Friday the 13th movie with a happy ending. Is it weird to say that if they had just stopped it with this one, that would have been fine? Um. Well, yes, because then I would have never gotten... <laughs> Telekinetic. Telekinetic teenager. teenager. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Firestarter meets Jason. Carrie meets Jason. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so what did you think about how Jason was killed in this one? Um I don't no, no. Yeah. I don't I, don't, I agree. I don't care for it. I mean, he was already dead. How do you how do you <laughs> drown a zombie exactly? That just that didn't fit for me. I don't I don't know. I know you don't agree with me, but I much prefer the way he went out in the final chapter that taking a stab in the face with the machete slowly sliding down. And let's face it, he was dead after that. Like he was effectively dead. They had to zap, zap him to bring him back to life. So Tommy effectively killed him. And now we're just going to chain him to the bottom of a lake. Well, I think everybody knows that the only way to kill the zombie is by removing the head or <laughs> destroying the brain. <laughs> Drowning is not in there. Yeah. Were you so, waiting all day for that reference? I've been waiting on that for 53 minutes. <laughs> so yeah, I guess I'm the same way. And then plus two, you cut to, well, he's not really dead because we're going to get that last shot of him opening his eye up. So yeah. You know what the coolest thing, the coolest thing about that ending is that some dude in, was it Minnesota or Wisconsin or whatever, made a statue of Jason and put it at the bottom of a That's a so lake. cool. And I want to go. That's pretty badass. So our youngest, she has a fish and, of course, a fish tank because that's where you house them. I'm going to stop sounding stupid in any moment now. But I also saw where people have made those for fish tanks, just a Jason that's like chained to the bottom. That'd be really cool and we ought to find one. That would be pretty she cool. She probably wouldn't want to sleep in her room after that, but I'd buy I'd... a fish just so I could have one. <laughs> I don't know. I don't think it would bother her that much. Really? Yeah, I don't think it would. <laughs> But as we have stated many times throughout the series, these movies aren't that deep. There's not just a whole lot that goes on that you can just sit and talk about in an hour's time, unfortunately. It's just kids go to camp, kids get killed at the end of the day. So that being said, what did you like about Jason Lives? That's a loaded question. Not really. Um, <laughs> what did I like about it? I liked 
just sort of the overall feel of the movie. Like I said, it's more of a feel-good movie, uh, more of a comedy uh, slash action movie than a horror movie, really. And both of those genres speak to me. But uh, I like they incorporated some comedy into this. Uh, I like it that they didn't take themselves too seriously in this movie. Like, they seem fully aware that this is the sixth entry in a franchise. And they just kind of went for it. And I appreciate that. I like that they had likable characters. There weren't just a bunch of assholes that you're waiting on to die because there's no I don't want to say depth to them because we didn't really spend a lot of time with really most of the cast. But surface level, they were all decent people for the most part. Um, I would have liked to have seen more on the effects side of things. The kills weren't bad. Some of them were kind of basic. Like the double impalement We've seen that one in a Friday before, um, at least one other time before. Now you um, admit it. The uh, <laughs> uh, the kid that's driving the RV, he just gets stabbed in the head with a knife. Mm-hmm. We get a triple decapitation, which is the first for a Friday movie, but I think we've seen him decapitate people before, so it's not really new. Yeah, the effects, that could have been good. I feel like Jason was fine. He was just, he was fine. Even though this guy did walk through a door, he didn't do it in the surprise motherfucker kind of way that Ted White did. Like he kind of staggered his way through that door. Ted White was like, ding dong, motherfucker. (laughs) Ding (laughs) Ding dong. dong. Yeah. I I noticed. I was like, does he burst through a door in every film in the Tommy Jarvis trilogy? Because had that really badass bust through the door in part four. And then you had another bust through the door in part five where Reggie trips and hurts his knee. And then he bursts through the door there. And then this one where the door like fucking explodes. It like splinters and shit. <laughs> so the, I think the difference though is that when Ted White did it, he was just like, I'm walking and I'm just not going to stop walking and the door will move. Right? This door ain't going to stop me. (laughs) And he just went through it. This one, it's like he crashed through it. And you can see that the stuntman kind of stumbles a little bit on his way through. So he didn't do it like a boss. Or not boss enough. But then he turns around and walks through a window slash low wall later. So. Yeah. He's trying to one-up him. I don't know. I would have liked to have seen a, a scarier Jason in that. I think. I think if you if you had made it a little bit scarier, a little bit more tense, but kept the rest of the lightheartedness and the comedy and the likable characters, it would have been a very interesting movie to watch. I think you would have ended up with a lot of feelings in that movie. You know what I mean? How about you? So basically everything you said, and then a little bit more, I'm just going to piggyback off of some of those. I I mentioned earlier in the episode that there were things that I had credited to Kane Hodder, but I'm realizing now that CJ Graham did one of them first. And that's the thing where if Jason is doing something and then is either distracted by a noise or hears something, he does that quick head jerk in the direction of whatever's going on. And that was the thing I loved about Kane Hodder doing where the head turns and then the body follows. That was always something that I completely gave credit to Kane Hodder for. But seeing CJ Graham do it, I was like, oh shit. Like like I said earlier, for like kind of a chode now for not realizing that that was kind of his thing first. Yeah, he was really good at those very quick, precise movements mm-hmm. i guess and they were scary in a couple of scenes they, i mean the, the movie as a whole isn't scary but jason had himself had a couple of scary moments he did he did uh, I, and he also did the uh, michael myers head tilt he did. <laughs> he did he didn't he did pretty good he did okay <laughs> And CJ Graham also not a little guy, six foot three, two hundred and fifty pound marine. Like he was a big dude. Yeah, I thought he was great. Again, not he's not my favorite, but he did great. I'd probably go Kane Hodder or Ted White interchangeably, and then CJ Graham. But I think had the MPAA not messed with the kills the way that they did. Here's the thing. It's going to sound really shitty. The idea of bringing little kids there to the camp makes you think, oh, the stakes are higher this time because there are children present. None of those kids were ever in danger. I think had you had a couple of scenes where maybe he did go after a couple of kids, like the way he did little Tommy or little Reggie might have driven that point home a little bit more. Yeah, but there's really only that one scene, right, where he walked into the, I guess you'd call it like a dorm room or whatever. And the kids are all in bed sleeping except for the one little girl. And he comes and stares down at her and she starts praying and he walks away. That's about as close as he gets in that one, isn't it? Yes. But Jason doesn't kill kids. Young, little, little kids. Does he? 
I mean, he's definitely gone after them before. He's just never killed them, but he has pursued them. Well, but the one that went after Reggie wasn't actually Jason. Well, okay, that's fair. But Jason Part 4 did still go after little He'd, Tommy, well, showing that he's not above killing a kid. He just hasn't. And maybe that's because the filmmakers didn't want to cross that line. But I'm saying you don't have to kill any kids. You know, nobody's telling you to be Michael Myers here. But, you know, you could at least allude to it. They could put a child in jeopardy. Yes. To kind of raise the emotional stakes. Yes, exactly. I see what you're saying. And maybe that puts the camp counselors more into action. You know, they didn't, they maybe didn't have to kill the counselors off as fast as they did. Like while Tommy's wrapped up with Megan, you know, maybe have one or two that are still there and they're kind of holding down the fort at the camp while the other two are running around and trying to protect those kids meanwhile. You know what I mean? Yeah, because once they started bumping off camp counselors in this one, they, they kind of went down like dominoes. Yeah, because Paula, like I said, was a great character. And if she had been one of those ones that was left standing there with them, I think that would have been great. Yeah, they, they probably could have used a scene where like some the, the remaining counselors are trying to like barricade themselves in to protect the kids or something like that to sort of raise the tension overall. Mm-hmm. I could see that. But overall, apart from that, about them just cutting down the kills and the gore and the violence, I don't really have any problems with this movie. Um, Like you said, it's there's a lot of humor. It's action-packed. It doesn't get boring or tedious in any places. It almost feels like, and I know that's not what they were going for, but it almost feels like it's a parody of a Friday the 13th film. I could I could see that to a point, yeah. You know, with them doing the little James Bond nod at the beginning, they're, they're trying to tell you, okay, guys, we're having fun. Fun with this one. Yeah, it was kind of a scream before it was scream, sort of, where they're, they're sort of poked fun at the genre, so... I could see that. Yeah, I, I loved all the, the in-jokes and the foreshadowing and the meta like we've already discussed. I won't talk about that anymore, but those were all things that lent to that just this just being a different experience for this type of film. Yeah, and I don't know about you, but for me, this was a much more enjoyable experience than some of the other ones where they're trying to take themselves very seriously and just not being able to sell it. Definitely mm-hmm. more than part seven. Right. Which is just not enjoyable at all for anyone. <laughs> Oh, yeah. We'll get there next week. But as it stands right now, I realize that we, for the last couple of episodes, have not done our ranking of what we've gotten up to this far. So I guess I'll start it. I'm kind of (laughs) being put on the spot here. So we've got six of these puppies and I'm going to say favorite is still part four. Number two goes to part two. Number three goes to part five. Number next one goes to part six. And then part one. And then part three at dead last. Where are you at? Um, I don't remember how I ranked them last time we did this. So I may get them out of order. Let's see. I think starting from the top, I'd have to go four, six, five, and then uh, two, three, one. Okay. Probably. One's always going to be on the bottom for me. <laughs> Still don't get that. But. I just don't. I just don't care for that movie. Uh, once again, excuse our dog. He is like eight pounds and thinks he's the man of the house. He's a Yorkie that thinks he's a German <laughs> shepherd. Shut up, Grubber. <laughs> so. Sorry for that pause. The wind's blowing outside and some trees were moving. Clearly they're an imminent threat. So he was barking. Until they went away. Or there was a moth flying around. You don't, you never know. <laughs> yeah, the porch light is on. Might be a highly threatening moth. The mothman was on the porch. I don't know. <laughs> but guys, that's going to do it for this episode of Dead and Married. Um, we'll see you back next week with part seven, The New Blood. See, you just told him that that's what's it. Nobody's going to show up. Nobody's <laughs> going to show up for part seven. You should have told them punch and pie and then they would show up. <laughs> Or what is known to the world at large as Friday the 13th. But we will get into why next week. (laughs) There he goes again. Stupid dog. (laughs) Until then, I'm Ashley. And I'm Travis. Take care, guys. Bye. Hey guys, quick reminder to find us on social media. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram as SpookyMom83 and Travis on Twitter as TravisL80. And find our official page on Instagram and Twitter at Dead and Married. If you have any questions or suggestions for films or otherwise, feel free to email us at deadandmarried at yahoo.com. Later.